Would you join me in opening in prayer, Lord? Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us, your great mercy. No matter the amount of our sin, the greatness of our sin, how far we've walked away from you, that you are a merciful God who loves us, a merciful God who saves us, and a merciful God who calls us, calls us not only to be saved, but also to share salvation with the world around us. That the mercy that we've experienced, God, you've given us the ability and you've given us the calling. You've given us the mission of sharing that mercy with all those in our lives. And Lord, would you help us today as we come to your word? Would you help us to see what you would have for us to know? And also how we should live in light of your word and what you've told us and what you've done. And I pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Kids and toddlers, you can go to Children's Church and toddle time at this time. All right, well, we are back in the book of Matthew. Last week, uh, we looked at the end of chapter 9 and gave a little bit of a preview of chapter 10, not much, but we are going to dive into chapter 10 this morning, uh, and you will see on your outline uh, that it just says Matthew chapter 10. Indeed, there we are going to look at this whole chapter today, which is going to be fun. All right, so we're going to be looking at this whole chapter. I know many of you are scared right now and wondering if uh, you're ever going to eat lunch today, but I, I promise we will, we, will get, we will see what the Lord has for us to see in his word in this whole chapter as a whole. We will not be able to take apart every little word and every little phrase, but we will be able to get a big picture of what Jesus is telling us, specifically when it comes to the mission that he has called his followers to be on, and that's going to be the point today as we look at Matthew chapter 10. Again, if you've been with us, and many of you have, uh, just a quick review. The book of Matthew, the overarching theme that we see is that Jesus brings the heavenly kingdom to earth. He is the Messiah, the one who has been promised, the king of all the world and all of the earth and all of the universe, and Jesus comes Yes, born as a baby and then lives his life, dies for us. All of that happens here in the book of Matthew. We get to see who Jesus is, what he did, and how we should believe in him. And all of that points us to the fact that Jesus is the one who brings a new kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, to this earth. Both now, as he works now spiritually, but also one day when he sets everything right, he will be physically ruling over the world, but at this point we see that Jesus, as he comes, brings the heavenly kingdom to earth. A new way of living, a new way of being, and that's what Jesus brings. And so throughout the book of Matthew so far, and we'll continue to see, is that we see Jesus is teaching with his authority, he's teaching with authority, he's teaching about the kingdom, he's he's teaching about how to live in the kingdom, what the kingdom is all about, and what kingdom living is But in the midst of teaching, which is his primary mission as he's been teaching and preaching the gospel, the good news that the kingdom has come for those who will submit to the king, he also is showing his authority over everything in the process. He's been healing people of disease. He's been casting out demons. He's been showing uh, power over nature. He is 
been showing the authority that he has been speaking of and speaking from. And so he's been doing that through the book of Matthew. This is going to continue. We've got to remember that Jesus is the one that holds the ultimate authority. He is the one that holds the ultimate power. He is the king and no one else. Because that's going to be key today as we see what he does in chapter 10. And indeed today what we're going to see is that Jesus sends laborers out to be agents of the kingdom. Jesus sends laborers out to be agents of the kingdom. Now, if you remember, if we go back a little bit in Matthew chapter 9, just right at the very end, right at the very end, starting in verse 36, it says this, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he called to his disciples. He said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus has just told his disciples that are there and listening to him that we, they need to be praying that people will go out to continue the work, to spread the work even wider of what Jesus has been doing as he's been teaching the gospel and showing the power of the gospel through miracles. And so he says, pray that people will go out. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send people out. And then we flip over to chapter 10. Now, we don't know exactly how much time went by. It could have been more time than it seems. Or it could have been he says this and then turns to his 12. We're not sure exactly the timing. We're not given all the chronology here. But we do see the next thing that we're told that Matthew sees as important is that what Jesus says to pray for, we see actually happening. We see an answer to prayer. And he's going to answer the prayer because, let's remember, he is the Lord of the harvest. He is God himself. And so, right in chapter 10, we're going to break right in and we're going to see that he is going to send out people to do the work that he's been doing. So he's been telling them to pray for laborers. Now he's about to be the answer to that prayer and he's going to send laborers out into the harvest. And so we'll read chapter 10 in just a moment. You'll see that the title of today is is Not-So-Secret Agents. I'm going to use this word agent today a lot to talk about what Jesus is really having his disciples, his apostles do. Uh, An agent, if you look it up in the dictionary, is this. One who is authorized to act for or in the place of another, such as a representative, an emissary, or official of a government, or in this case, an official of a kingdom. See, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to send people out to be agents of the kingdom. Notice that as agents, they are not their own entity, they are not their own power, but as an agent is sent out, he represents the agency that is sending him. And in this case, it's the kingdom. There is a kingdom agency that we are called to, that the twelve are specifically called to here, but then it's going to also show that it's going to go down an umbrella to the point where we are also included in this mission that we'll get to by the end of our time. But Jesus is sending out some people on a mission. These are agents of the kingdom. They don't have authority. Notice they are authorized by someone else. They are not finding their own authority, but they're going out as Jesus sends them to represent him to the world that he has for them to represent him to. And so Jesus is going to send out agents. But what we're going to see, and I'm getting ahead, but as we're going to see though, These are not agents that are meant to be secret agents, agents that are supposed to be undercover for people not to know what they're about, but this is going to be agents that are going to be 
publicly showing and teaching the authority of Jesus, there will be no question of what they are doing. And we're going to see that today as we look at chapter 10. So I I believe the best way to do this today uh, is uh, we're going to go ahead and read the whole passage together. And part of the reason for that is what we're going to see is we get a little summary statement of what is happening. And then the rest of the chapter is going to be red words if you have the red letter Bible. Because the rest of the chapter, after the first few verses, is Jesus teaching again. It's another sermon that he's giving, but he's giving it to the people he's sending out to the mission. Now, as you remember, when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount... Uh, one thing that, that Pastor Justin kept calling it uh, was not the Sermon on the Mount, but the Kingdom Life Discourse. Well, this is going to be Jesus' Kingdom Mission Discourse. He's going to be teaching not just how to live, but how to go on mission. And that's what Jesus is going to do in this chapter. So we're going to read it as a whole so we get the whole picture of what he is saying. So follow along with me. Uh, it will not be on the screen, I don't believe, unless they're throwing it up, maybe. Maybe they'll be nice to you. But if not, uh, you're going to want to open your Bible or wherever you're reading uh, Scripture from, and we're going to read chapter 10. Okay, Matthew chapter 10. And he called to him his twelve disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles were these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go, go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel." And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, or the labor, uh, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And anyone who will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak, or what you are to say, or what you are to, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the chi- and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will be revealed or hidden that will be not that not will not be known. 
For what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have not come to set a man against his, or I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So that's Matthew chapter 10. As we jump in, we're going to break it up into three sections, and I'm going to draw out some verses as we look at general principles that Jesus is trying to communicate to his apostles, to his 12 disciples, and beyond, and we're going to see what Jesus is going to be saying. And so we're going to start with part one, which is the first 15 verses, so chapter 10, verses 1 through 15, and we're going to start by saying that, seeing that Jesus sends his agents out with his power. Jesus sends his agents out with his power. We're going to see here that Jesus does not just uh, say, hey, go and do something, but he gives them a specific purpose and he gives them power to do what he tells them to do. We see here that Jesus calls specifically the 12 apostles. Notice that it says he calls them the 12 disciples in, in verse 1, but then it says in verse 2, the names of the 12 apostles And then goes through the names of the twelve apostles. So the disciples that are specifically in view here are the twelve apostles. Apostle, by the way, is really the Greek word that means sent ones. Ones who are sent. They're they're ones who are official sendees. Okay, they're the ones that are sent. And that's what Jesus is doing. He is sending his twelve And as he sends his twelve, he gives them power. Because we see that Jesus gives his authority for the mission. He gives his authority for the mission. He doesn't just give them a mission and let them go and flounder and try to figure out how to do it on their own. But instead, Jesus, as he gives them their mission, as he sends them out, as he sends the twelve out, he specifically gives him his authority. And he says that here in verse 1. He says, He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. This was a specific power that Jesus was giving to his apostles at this point because, again, we're at the point where the gospel is new and fresh and to verify the message of the gospel, Jesus gives power and authority to his 12 apostles to go out and to do these things to prove the power of the gospel. That is what his goal is as he sends them out. 
In just a moment, we're going to see what they're instructed to do on the mission, but we know before anything else that what they're about to do is not in their own strength, their own power, or their own ability. But what they're about to do is they're about to go out with the power of Jesus, who has given them the power, and sent them out to do what he has called them to do. It is very important we see that they do not possess this authority in themselves. They cannot manufacture these things. This is something God has given I also want to take a minute and just think about the list of names here. And we don't have time to do a character study on all 12 of the apostles uh, that we don't have time for today. And maybe another time we could do that or you could do that on your own. But we see the group of 12 that were are specifically mentioned here are quite a strange group of men. If you're going to call people to go out onto a mission like this, this would not be the type of people you would choose. First of all, we've got several fishermen Fishermen wouldn't really be well learned. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't be rich or powerful or influential. They simply caught fish. And as we've seen and we'll see again as we look at this, as Jesus has called these fishermen to now be fishers of men and, and that's what's about to happen. But not only fishermen are included here, we see tax collectors. Uh, a tax collector, I mean, we see Matthew, he's a tax collector. We, we know who a tax collector is. I mean, he would, st- Pastor Justin talked about this, uh, uh, seen as one of the most sinful people in all of Israel. Because not only would they be taking from the people uh, to give to Rome, but they'd also be keeping things for themselves. So we see Matthew is there. We see a zealot, Simon the Zealot, who had been a rebel to look to, looking for ways to usurp the authority of the Romans in his, in his own strength. We see even a betrayer and a liar in the twelve. Don't miss that. Judas is going out with the twelve and he's doing what everybody else is doing. Judas, who would one day betray Jesus, a liar, a betrayer. Yet Jesus gives him the authority, gives him power here to do some miraculous things. Because again, it's not about them. It's not about the twelve. It's not about what they possess. It's not about their good character. And honestly, as we look at the disciples, you'll see in all the Gospels, it's not even because they got it figured out. Like, these guys still have very little idea what's really going on here. They're trying to figure it out as they go, and they're asking really dumb questions, and Jesus keeps giving them the answers, and they don't get it. But this group of people, this group of men who don't have the ability, they don't have the understanding, and they don't have the the social clout to be able to really do this mission. That's who Jesus is calling. Because he's saying, listen, I'm giving you the authority. It's about me. It's not about you. It's about me. It's about Jesus. He's saying, I'm putting that out. I'm going to do something through you. Now, that's something we need to remember in our lives too. We'll get to that later, but what we do in this life and what we do to serve God is never of our own strength, our own power, because somehow we offer something to God. It is only because he works through us out of his mercy. And so that's what he's going to do for these 12 men. Now it does seem that as this authority, the specific authority over demons and over afflictions and sickness seems to be a specific, a specific power that is given for this time at this moment. We can't necessarily extrapolate this out to say this is for all people of all time. But what we can see is that Jesus is giving these 12 men power to do miraculous things as they preach the gospel, which gets us to our next point. Jesus gives instructions for the mission. Not only does he give his authority, but he gives instructions for the mission. We see here that they are called to stick to the people of Israel. 
Now, this seems strange to us because we know that Jesus' mission is much broader than just Israel. We see it in Matthew. We see it throughout all the, the Gospels. We th- see it through the whole Bible. We see it from the beginning of the Bible that the, the goodness, the, the promise of a Messiah was for all the world. And yes, we will see that happen. But we also do see that it started in Israel. Jesus came as a Jew, to reach the Jews, and then the Jews were to, to spread out. And we see that happen in the book of Acts. We can't talk about how all that works. We don't have time today. But what we know for now is, at least at the beginning, Jesus is saying, you 12, you're sticking to Israel. You're going to go and you're going to talk to the people of Israel, the people who have been, by the way, awaiting a Messiah. Listen, Gentiles aren't awaiting a Messiah. Gentiles don't care if there's some guy calling himself the Messiah at this point. They, who cares for them? Who really cares are the Jewish people who are waiting for this Messiah, and Jesus says, go to them. And so that's where they're going to start, and that's where it does start. It'll spread later on. Notice what the instructions are given, though, as he says, stay with Israel. And then he says in verse 7, he says, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And he goes on to talk about more after that. But it... This is not something we can miss. Jesus did not send the apostles out simply to be doctors, simply to heal people and to cast out demons. No, Jesus sent them to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to say that the kingdom was here. Now, surely the whole message was not only these few words. It's about telling people that the kingdom is here because the Messiah has come. The Jewish people would have understood when they heard the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that that meant that the Messiah is here. And then no doubt these men would have the opportunity to share about Jesus, who he is, what he's been doing. And that was the goal. The goal was to preach the kingdom of heaven. And then the other things came alongside of it again to prove the validity of the message. And so they were to share the gospel of the kingdom first and foremost. But then they were also to care for the needy. Don't miss this. When it talks about who they're healing and raising and all these other things... Jesus is saying, well, who you're going to, not only are you going to be preaching the kingdom, but the people you're going to, you need to reach out to the needy and meet their needs. He says, heal the sick. So it's for sick people. He says, raise the dead. It's for dead people. He says, it's to cleanse lepers, those who are sick and outcast and diseased, to cast out demons, those who are opposed to God's work. And the whole point here is these are people who are oppressed. These are people who are sick, dead, and outcast of society. And that's who the disciples, who the apostles are called to go to. So they're going to Israel. They're going to those who are needy. Remember, go back to chapter 9. Jesus saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. And so now he's sending his apostles to those who he has compassion on. And so the instructions for the mission are to stick with Israel, to share the gospel, and to and to reach out to the needy. That's the instructions that Jesus gives. So not only does he give his authority and his instructions for the mission, but we also see Jesus gives provisions for the mission. Jesus gives provisions for the mission. As agents that he's sending out, he's not only going to give them his authority and also tell them what they need to do, but he's going to say, I'm going to make sure that what you're doing, you're going to be taken care of. So he has this whole section here where he basically says this, The mission that you're going on is not for you to make money because the kingdom is free for all to enter. You didn't pay a price to get into the kingdom and so therefore you can't have other people have a price to come into the kingdom. 
This would be different than any false teachers that we'll see throughout the Bible. Usually false teachers, they're all about, hey, if I, if I'll give you this truth, if you pay me. But this isn't what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you've received what you've received for free, so you're not going to ask people to pay. And he says, you're not going to accumulate all these different things, whether it's money or uh, silver, copper, bag for your journey, tunic, sandals, a staff, all of these things. He's saying, you don't need to be accumulating things as you go through your mission. That's not what the goal is. The goal is to preach the kingdom and reach out to the needy. But then he basic, then he says, though, but don't you will find that you will be taken care of. that's really what he's saying, for the laborer deserves his food. The the point is that God is going to provide. And how is he going to provide? Well, what we see here is the provision that he's going to give. He's going to provide welcoming homes for the apostles as they travel and spread the gospel. He talks about the fact that when you, you find a home that is welcoming, find a home that is worthy, one who is going to receive the message, then you can dwell with that home, and that home will take care of you. That's the promise that Jesus has given. Don't miss that here. Because we get so caught up in the next part where it says, hey, if they don't receive you, then you just need to leave, shake off the dirt off your off your clothes and go. But there are people who are going to receive the apostles and that's where they're going to find their provision. They don't need to ask or to toil to, to get stuff because God will provide through his people. That is the point here. God will give permission, provisions for the mission. But yes, there is this section here then that says for those who don't, those who aren't worthy, those who don't receive the message, those who reject the message and therefore reject Jesus and therefore reject God, what they're to do as the apostles is they're to move on and I'll put it this way, shake it off. They're to move on and shake it off. They're to move on from where they were, shake off the dust, which is a symbol uh, that, that it's a symbol of purity, that they're leaving the unclean behind. It's almost what we would consider as we talk about, like, I'm washing my hands of this. It's the point that, listen, we gave you the message, you didn't receive it, and so we're going to walk away, and you're going to receive the punishment that is due, which is exactly what is said here. It says it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. What does this mean? Is God out to just destroy people? We know Sodom and Gomorrah, the story of the Old Testament, they're destroyed because of their sin. There wasn't even ten people in the city that were righteous in the eyes of God. And so they were destroyed by by hail and uh, fire, brimstone, coming down and destroying that place. So what does it mean that it'll be worse? Well, we understand that there is a that rejecting God himself, rejecting Jesus, rejecting the message of salvation does bring true punishment. Punishment that is dealt out in hell. A place where the mercy and goodness of God is distant. A place where God is there, but it is horrible to be in his presence because we don't believe in him or trust him or love him. That is what is promised for those who reject God because they'll continue to reject God even in the future. And so, yes, their punishment will be worse. But this is not for those who welcome the gospel. If we welcome the gospel, we have eternal life with Jesus, eternal life with God in his presence in heaven. So, yes, look for the people who are going to welcome you. Don't worry about the people who don't. Just walk away, move on. That's what God, that's what Jesus says to his agents. So then we get to the second part of chapter 10. The second part, Jesus not only sends his agents out with his power, but then we get to the part that we don't like so much. 
And it says Jesus sends his agents out into persecution. Jesus sends his agents out into persecution. You see that Jesus gives a warning in this second section. He starts off by saying, look, look, guys, I'm sending you out to do all these things. This is how it's going to be done. I'm giving you the power to do it, and I'm going to provide for you. But just so you know, I'm sending you out into a pack of wolves. I'm sending you out into a pack of wolves. This is a shepherding analogy in the sense of, you're my sheep, and I'm going to send you to the wolves. This doesn't make sense. Right? A good shepherd wouldn't do that, but we know Jesus is the good shepherd. Because the point is, yes, he's sending them out into the wolves, but he's not going to leave them alone. That's the whole point. That's why he's given him, that's why he's given them his power and his presence. Now, they're going to be going, but they're going to be going out with his power and he's going to protect them as they go. And we're going to see that through this next section. So Jesus gives a warning. He says, I'm sending you into a pack of wolves. There is going to be danger to the mission. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be danger. But then he says, in the face of this opposition, in the face of this danger, he tells these guys, he tells them, he says, you need to be wise as serpents and you need to be innocent as doves. So what is the point here? He says, well, as you go out, there's going to be lots of persecution. There's going to be problems. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be pain. But what you need to do is still work and, and do this as a mission. Be wise and innocent. See, Jesus doesn't want his agents to be dumb or naive Like he doesn't want them to go out and not be wise in the sense that they just are going to be naive about things and not really think things through and get themselves in trouble because of their own, uh, because of their own foolishness. But instead, they are, if they get in trouble, if they're getting persecuted, it's only for sharing the gospel. But that doesn't mean that they can do really stupid things and say, well, it's just what I'm supposed to do. The point isn't to be naive. The point is to go to people who are going to listen and to know, like he just got done saying, if you're not going to be listened to, then get out. Like, that's wise. What would be unwise is to say, I know I'm not welcome here, but I'm going to make sure I'm going to, I'm going to live up my welcome. I'm going to outstay my welcome no matter what. And he says you need to be wise, but he also says you need to be innocent. And this is the innocent of doves idea. It's you need to be peaceful and gentle and innocent. That the reason that you're going to face persecution is not because of you being a jerk, but it's going to be because only because of the message that you're bringing. And he says, so be wise and be innocent as you go out and even as you face persecution. Don't respond with with belligerence. Don't respond with anger and, and revenge, but be wise and be peaceful. And so that's what he says. Notice, as then we continue to read on, and I know I'm going fast here, not only does he say to be wise and innocent and that persecution is going to come, but he says persecution will come from religious Jews and also pagan rulers. In other words, no place is safe. There's no place you're going to be able to go that you're safe from persecution because he talks about the synagogues. He talks about how you're going to be delivered over and you're going to be beaten and and, and you're going to be flogged and all of these things. You're going to be brought to court in the synagogues. But he also says you're going to be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. So Jesus is saying, look, you're not going to be free from the Jews or the pagans who are ruling that would be the romans at this point where they're saying look you're going to get all kinds of persecution from all angles and this is something to expect this is not this is not a good feel good message that jesus is giving at this point right he's saying look it's going to get bad people are going to treat you badly real bad and that's what he says but he says verse 18 i love this verse in the midst of this because he says And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. 
Interesting that Jesus has called them only to the Jews, but now he's saying, but as you go through these things, the Gentiles will also see your witness. Let's not lose that. That there is a point here that as they are going to be persecuted, it is going to serve as a witness for those persecuting them and also for those on the outside looking in. So persecution, yes, it's bad in the sense that it hurts us and it's suffering on this end of things, but it is something that can give glory to God as it stands as a witness for him. We will see that happen in the book of Acts. If you remember the the story of Stephen, you know, as he's stoned, people are watching and this, and eventually Saul, who's sitting there watching and consenting to it, will end up being saved. Jesus is going to use persecution to further the gospel. That's what he's saying here. And so it's important for us to understand that even as we face persecution, that God has a plan in it. It is not just to inflict pain, but instead it's to show his goodness and show his gospel to the world. And so there's great opportunity in the midst of persecution, and he gives some specific things to expect. So here we go. These just wonderful things that we should await, what these guys should await, what we should await as we follow Jesus and speak his name. Agents of the kingdom will be betrayed by their own family. They'll be hated, not only by their family, but by all. And they'll be falsely accused. Verse 25, when Jesus says, remember, just earlier, just last chapter in chapter 9, the the Pharisees are saying that he is an agent of Satan. And he's saying, look, people are going to say the same thing about you because they said it about me. That's what Jesus says. So he says, not only are you going to be betrayed and hated, you're going to be falsely accused. I don't know about you, but the thing I hate most in life uh, is being falsely accused of something. Where someone thinks something about me that isn't true. It drives me nuts. It makes me angry. And I don't, and it, it, it just, it's not a fun experience. And maybe you've experienced that. Betrayal, hatred, and false accusation are three of the biggest things that most people can't stand. Like you can deal with somebody who just doesn't like you, but if they like outright hate you, or if they, if you're betrayed by someone that you, that's close to you, or if you are falsely accused for something you didn't do and somebody is making you out to be something that you're not, well doesn't that just boil you up inside? But that's what the followers, the agents of the kingdom are going to experience. Again, at this point, seems very, very bleak. And then he says in verse 23, as he talks about the idea that when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Really, the point that Jesus is making here is that the mission is not going to end. The mission is going to continue, and when the mission continues, persecution continues. A lot of times we might be able to get through something if we know it's going to end very soon. But the whole point here is what he's saying is, listen, the the mission is going on. You're going to move from town to town. You're going to be persecuted in town to town, and it's going to continue and continue and continue. And that is what the promise is given, the warning that is given about persecution. But then there's, there's comfort in the midst of this. Verses 19 and 20, we see that Jesus gives comfort for the mission. Jesus gives comfort for the mission. As much as he gives a warning, he then gives comfort. And he says, when these things happen, he says, don't be anxious. 
He says in verses 19 and 20, this is beautiful. He says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say. or what, For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. This is a comfort. This is a promise. It says you don't need to be anxious about what you have to say or how you're going to act at that time where you're being persecuted because God is the one who's going to use you and speak through you at that point. It goes back to what we've already talked about. It's through the authority of God that we are given a mission. These men are given a mission through God's authority, and therefore, when they're in a when they're in a tight spot, God will see them through and give them what they need to say. And that is a promise, and it's comfort. And it says those who endure to the end will be saved. We see that also in this passage. And the idea of this is that endurance leads to salvation. This is, this is a point of when you're, when you're facing persecution, he's saying, guys, you're gonna face persecution, persecution, and if you get through that and you endure through that, then think about what's on the other end. That's the point that Jesus is making here. Yes, endurance seems really hard and it seems really impossible right now, but think about what is going to come of it. The fact that you're standing on the name of Jesus and you're preaching the name of Jesus and you're doing his work, that is going, that is, that is your salvation. That is what you can really look to. Even in the midst of the hardest times, that's what gives us the power to endure. Our power to endure when things go badly because we're Christians is not, we just need to make sure that we're strong enough because we're gonna be, we're gonna make sure that we are powerful enough to get through it. We're strong enough, we're, we're strong-willed enough. It's not about that. It's about the fact that God will see us through. It's about looking to salvation and knowing what he's done and who he is. And that will get us through. That will allow us to endure. Endurance is not something that we conjure up within ourselves. But endurance is something that God gives us. And then Jesus gives an example of the mission. He gives a warning. He gives comfort. But then he says, look, here's another comforting thing. Here's my example. Right? He says, listen, what's going to happen to you is the same thing that's happened to me. A disciple is not above his master in the sense that a disciple, you're going to, you're going to get what I have gotten. He's like, if people hated me, they're going to hate you. If they called you, uh, if they called me an agent of Satan, they're going to call you an agent of Satan. That is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, I've already experienced persecution for the mission, and you will too. But that should give us hope as we think back and we know that at the times when, and these men should have, at the times of persecution, they can look back and say, yes, but Jesus already went through this too. But it's not even just about what he's already gone through, but it's also about what he will go through. Spoiler alert here, if you know the Bible, you know the gospel, you know this is true. But Jesus is going to face even more persecution than what he's already faced. Even more persecution than what these guys are going to face immediately. He is going to go through even more. He is going to go all the way to death on a cross. He is going to give his very life on a cross, tortured for hours. He's going to and taking the sin of the world upon himself. That is what Jesus is going to experience, and that is the persecution that he's going to have. And so we have that in our mind because we have it through force or through hindsight. They didn't. But yet we see that and we know that Jesus not only is setting the example for them then, he's setting the example for us now because he knows persecution, he knows betrayal, he knows hatred, he knows false accusation. So no matter what we go through, we know that he can sympathize with us. The book of Hebrews says he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he has been tempted in every way we are. He has been tested and tried in every way we have been. And so therefore, we know that Jesus has experienced everything and therefore that should give us strength to endure 
when times get tough, when persecution comes. And so that's the promise in the midst of this warning. There's a warning given, comfort that God will be there to see them through. His presence will be with them. His spirit will see them through. And he also gives the example that should also be a comfort to us. Because what we go through and what they were going to go through, Jesus already had and still would. Last part of chapter 10. Not only does Jesus send them out with his authority and into persecution, but Jesus sends his agents out with his promises. With his promises. So we have this passage here that says, Do not fear them, for nothing there is nothing covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Here is what we see in verses 26 and 28 in this section. Uh, this last section is verses 26 through 42. We see that Jesus gives courage for the mission. Because let's face it, this is not going to be an easy mission. This is a hard mission. This is a mission that's going to bring pain and suffering and persecution. And so we need, his agents need, the agents here and also we, we need courage to do the mission that God has called us to do. They needed courage to do the mission that God, that Jesus had called them to do. And so he says, don't fear man who is just temporary. If you're going to fear, fear God. And that's not the point of like living, walking around fearful that God's always going to destroy us. But the point is, is that God is in charge of eternity. He's the eternal God. He's not just temporal like the man. Like men are just temporary, but God is eternal. So therefore, don't worry about what they do to you because you're about, you're about living for God. And that's so much better because God is so much greater and bigger and has so much more authority than any man in this world. And so Jesus says, don't fear people. Don't fear them. Don't have anxiety over what they're going to do because God is the one in control. And then he says, God will bring vindication to those who are persecuted. The truth will win out. That's the whole point of nothing will be, or nothing that is covered that will be revealed or hidden that will not be known. The whole point is, is that God, being eternal, knows the truth. It'll be revealed at one point. It might not be until we're in heaven. But the whole point is that we can have courage knowing that we don't need to fear man who is just temporary and can just do temporary things to us, but we we instead revere and respect God who is not only in charge of the body, but also the soul, and that he will bring vindication to us. So if we're falsely accused or hated or betrayed, he will not falsely accuse us. He will not hate us. He will not betray us because we are his followers. We are his agents, and that is the courage that we can have. He says in verse 27, the agents of the kingdom must show the gospel. They are light in the darkness. They are light. They are to be light. And he also says you need to be speaking the, uh, speaking the message. Uh, he says the agents of the kingdom must show the gospel and shout the gospel. He talks about shouting it from the rooftops. This takes true courage. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light and whatever you, whatever is whispered, proclaim on the housetops. So bring light and bring knowledge by Yelling it from the housetops. Again, they're not secret agents. Okay, these they're not secret. Everybody knows what they're about. That's the calling that God is putting on their lives. And they're going to shout it from the rooftops. It's also true for us. Now, I don't think that we actually are going to go out today and crawl up on top of our roofs and start yelling uh, and start proclaiming Jesus is Messiah, but are we willing to preach the gospel where we're at in a public way? But we'll get to that in just a moment. There is courage that is here, and we are see in verse 32 and 33. Uh, oh, actually, sorry, we skipped over 29 through 31 real quick. We see that God is sovereign over what happens. The sparrows, the hairs on our head, even in persecution, God is sovereign. And even in persecution, he cares for his creation. He cares for the sparrows, 
right? He cares for, he cares so much that he knows every hair on our head. The point there is that he cares for his children. So as you go through persecution, you can find comfort and courage in the fact that God cares, he is sovereign over what happens, and he cares for you. That is the point. Verses 32 and 33 are often quoted many times, and many times are used to make people guilty. It says, For everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is a hard statement, no doubt. But I don't believe that this statement was given to the apostles at this point to make them feel guilty. Like, oh, by the way, if you don't tell people about me, never mind, I'm turning away from you. That's not, it's not like this threat that Jesus is throwing out at them, but it's a simple truth that he's given. And that simple truth, as we are remembering that they are going out to people who are going to either receive the message or not receive the message, He's saying, listen, what you guys are about to do, you guys are going to be acknowledging me, and therefore I'm going to acknowledge you. But keep in mind that the people who don't listen, who are going to deny, that yes, I'm going to deny them, because the point is, they don't believe in me, but you do. And so it's to give us courage and comfort, not to create guilt. That yes, our calling, our mission to acknowledge God before people, to have a public faith, is something that is... It's it's a given. If we follow Jesus, if we know Jesus, we will live a public faith. We won't be secret agents. Those who continue to show public those who continue to refuse to listen will receive their due punishment, but those who publicly and faithfully preach the gospel and live the gospel, they will be rewarded, which is going to be later on too. We will see that as well. See, a lot of times people worry about whether they will deny Jesus if ever given the opportunity. Many people I've heard said, I just don't know. If I'm ever persecuted, will I be able to stand up for Jesus? Will I be able to stand up and say, yes, I believe in Jesus when my family is threatened, when my life is threatened, when, when, my, when my livelihood is threatened? Will I be able to stand before Jesus? And people can get so wrapped up in that and worried about it and anxious about it and guilty about it because they think, well, surely I don't think I will. And people can just get themselves all sorts of messed up because they're so worried about this passage, meaning, well, I don't know. Is, am I going to be able to say yes when they ask me if I believe in Jesus or will I, will I renounce him? What will I do? And we get so caught up in that and there may be a day when you are going to be in that situation but remember back earlier in the chapter what's going to happen at that point god's going to speak through you god is going to work through you you will have his power in you so quit worrying about it believe in jesus trust him trust in the gospel and just say god if i'm ever in that situation would you please help me and he says he will so don't freak out and get anxious about what's going to happen because persecution is coming Getting ahead of myself, but I don't care. Persecution was coming to them. Persecution is coming to us. It's coming. If you can't see that, you're blind. Look at the world. Persecution is coming to us here. Persecution is already here many places in the world. People are struggling and being persecuted, and they're being faithful to God, but that is not because they are strong. It is not because they are powerful. It is not because they have the power and the authority that they need. It's because Jesus gives them strength and authority to endure, and he will do the same for us. Don't get caught up in thinking that our endurance is about us. It's about him and his grace and his mercy. All right. That was not planned for that moment. Jesus gives courage for the mission. He gives courage. We don't manufacture our own courage. Jesus also gives expectations of the mission. 
as we move on. Jesus gives expectations of the mission. Being an agent of the kingdom will bring conflict. That's an expectation. It will bring conflict. If you are a person who likes people, which hopefully all of us do, but you don't like ever being in conflict, then it's going to be very hard to follow Jesus. And it is very hard to follow Jesus because none of us really like conflict. I can't say none. There are a few in here that probably do. But some of us, most of us don't. But the point here is that conflict is coming for those who follow Jesus. And that conflict will come against and with those people we care about the most, even our very family. That's what he's saying to the apostles. He's also, But this is also something that we can apply to us. Following Jesus and standing for Jesus and being agent of the kingdom will mean that sometimes, not in every case, but there is the possibility that even our own families will turn against us. And this is happening again all around the world as people will convert from from one religion to Christianity and their families will hate them and turn their backs on them and persecute them themselves. So the very people that we hold closest to us and dearest to us, those people, they will, they could and might and most likely will have conflict with us over our following of Jesus if we are truly following him. And these are just a few examples, as he says, a father against his son and a daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. This is not a shot against in-laws. But the point here is that your very family structure might be interrupted and destroyed and torn apart by following Jesus. And that's okay. I know many people who will not make sacrifices for Jesus And they use the excuse, and I've used the excuse before, well, what if my family shuns me? Or what if this hurts my family? We are to follow Jesus first and foremost, and that's what Jesus says. When he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Keep this statement in context. So many times again, we hear this taken out of context, and people are like, okay, well, what does that mean? Do I need to hate my family? Do I need to turn my back on my family to follow Jesus? Not necessarily, but maybe. But what the point is being made here in context is simple. If there's a conflict between your family and Jesus, choose Jesus. Let's not overcomplicate this. If there's a a conflict between you and somebody else, and it's like, okay, I can either choose my family, my friends, my employer, fill in the blank. I can choose them, or I can choose Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. That's the point. Jesus is saying, no matter what it takes, your loyalty needs to be to me before anyone, including even your family. That is his point here in this passage. So these are expectations that it's going to bring conflict, even with those we love the most, and that our loyalty needs to be Jesus the King, even over our family when need be. So really what Jesus is saying, and he gets to this in in 38, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Here's what he says. He says, following Jesus means sacrifice. Notice here, we also quote this verse many times, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, either will say, okay, so I'm going to have to bear something tough. That's not the point. Or we say, okay, well, surely these disciples, as they heard this, They were just thinking about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And so it's just this general idea of sacrifice. That's kind of true. But let's think about what these guys would have heard if Jesus said, if you do not take your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. This is before he gave his life. This is before he died on the cross. So there's only one thing that they're understanding about this. 
If he says, you need to take up your cross, he's saying, you need to be willing to die. You need to be willing to give up everything. And yes, there's a spiritual element of this. We die to sin. But Jesus also is saying there is a physical element. You may have to die for your faith. That's how bad it could get. So expectations are that you are, it'll bring conflict, that you need to, your loyalty needs to be to Jesus, and you need to be willing and ready. Really, that's the key. Ready to sacrifice for the kingdom. But finally, in this section, Jesus gives rewards for the mission. He gives courage for the mission, he gives expectations of the mission, but then he gives rewards for the mission. Giving up our lives for the mission of God is not really a sacrifice in the end, if we really think about it. Yes, it's physically a sacrifice, but what is going to happen on the other end is worth it. That is the point. What Jesus says here, right starting in verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. In other words, if you live for your own life, if you live for what you have here on this earth, you're going to lose it all. That's foolish. But he says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Sacrifice results in finding true life in Jesus. So yes, it might hurt temporarily. Yes, there is a temporary sacrifice, but it's for reward. It's for what God has on the other side. Agents of the kingdom will receive true life, even if it means it's hard. We will have true life, true living, eternal life, yes, but even true life now, even though it might be hard and painful. It is simple, really. Those who receive the message of Jesus will experience eternal rewards that we can't even imagine. Rewards go to the agents and also those who listen, verses 40 through 42. Do we know what exactly all these rewards are going to be? We could probably study it out and have a decent idea, but what we do know is one thing that is very clear from all of Scripture is that the one reward that we need, the one reward that we want, the only reward that matters is... Jesus himself. Jesus is going to give eternal life and his presence is what eternal life is all about. It's about being with him and living with him forever. That is real life. No matter what sacrifice might be made, there is a reward on the other end. And we don't, and, and so many times we feel guilty about that. Like, oh, am I only being, like, am I only obeying God because I want a reward? Okay, yeah, if that's your whole purpose in life is just to figure out how you can get rewards, then there's probably a problem. But listen, Jesus says so many times, the Bible says so many times, all the New Testament writers say over and over again that following Jesus, completing the mission, going on mission, doing what Jesus asked to do, and living your life for Jesus is rewarding. That is a truth that you can cling to. So when things get tough... When things get hard, you can repeat to yourself, it's worth it. It is worth it. It, Whatever I have to go through, what's on the other end is so much better, so much greater, so much wonderful. It doesn't matter what happens right now. I'm willing to follow Jesus and speak for Jesus no matter what persecutions I face, no matter what sufferings might come my way, because what's coming is better. His reward is better. Even if we don't understand exactly what that might always look like, eternal life with the presence of Jesus forever is the only reward we should want, and it is the best thing ever. And so that's what we see in chapter 10 in a very short way, actually, believe it or not, even though it's been long. Chapter 10, we see that Jesus sends his agents. Jesus sends his agents with his authority. Jesus sends his agents out into persecution. He sends his agents without, with his prom, with his promises. And so we can have courage and comfort because even in the midst of the hardest times, as, as, and 
this is what he was, I, I'm getting away from the fact that he's been talking to the 12 because we know that the Bible is not just for the 12, therefore it's for all of us. But he was telling the 12, listen, there's persecution coming. You need to preach the gospel and you need to show the gospel. And while you do that, things are going to go badly for you. But don't worry, I've got, I've got it. I'm going to give you courage. I'm going to give you comfort. And there's a reward on the other end. Man, we could save a lot of time if that's how I just said, right? So Jesus says, go out, preach the gospel. It's going to get bad, but it's going to, get, it's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be bad, but it's going to get great because I'm going to give you rewards. That's what Jesus is saying here. So a couple last questions to ask as we conclude. First of all, simply, are you a member of the kingdom of Jesus? Because the, the truth of the matter is, is none of this matters. You can't be an agent to be sent out to share the good news of Jesus if you are not in the kingdom yourself. And the way to be in the kingdom is simply to believe in the king, the one who came to live his perfect life. Jesus Christ came to live a perfect life, die on the cross to pay for your sin, the times you've turned away from God. And he says, just believe in me, trust in me, turn to me and have salvation and have life and you'll be part of the kingdom. I died and then I rose again to show that I am more powerful than sin and death or anything else this world throws at you. Just trust me, submit to me and turn away from your sinful way of life and just turn towards me and trust me. That's what Jesus says throughout scripture. So if you've not been a part of the kingdom of Jesus, then today is the day that you can just call out to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness, ask him for salvation, because he is the one who, and the only one who can give it. Next question is, are you an agent of Jesus on mission to make disciples? Notice that this passage was the kingdom mission discourse, but Jesus gives another kingdom mission discourse at the end of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Notice the similarities here, and then we'll get to the point of what we should be doing. So he gave a mission to the twelve, but we also know that the mission is ours. And he says it here in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I wish I had more time to unpack this. But we see here that Jesus' authority is the reason that we can go and make disciples of all nations. So it's changed a little bit, right? So we're going to all the nations, not just to Israel. And the purpose here is to baptize and to teach and to make disciples. That is the mission that we're all given. And as we do that, remember the power that we have is his authority. He started by saying, I have authority in heaven and on earth. But then at the end, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The mission that we are called to, to spread the gospel, to make disciples, to baptize and teach, and to show the world who Jesus is. That, that, that mission that we've been given as agents of the kingdom is for us, but it's not about us. It's not for us to be able to manufacture strength to do. Instead, it's through the authority of Jesus as he is present with us. It's through his power and his presence that we can be witnesses for his kingdom. Let's not forget that. And so the question is, is are you an agent of Jesus on mission to make disciples? Have you submitted yourself to Jesus to the point where you are truly living for Jesus and teaching and preaching the gospel to people in your life, not in your own strength, but in his? And if you're not, then you need to pray and ask him to give you that strength, to give you the words you need. 
And then finally, the last question that all of us need to consider is, have you considered and embraced the cost of living for Jesus? Have you considered, not only considered the cost, you know, count the cost, many times that's how we will phrase that, but have you counted the cost, have you considered the cost, and have you embraced the cost of living for Jesus? Or are you still trying to figure that somehow you can live, you can follow Jesus without experiencing the cost? That somehow you can be a, you can be different and you can get around. You can find a loophole around following Jesus that costs anything. Because that's not really following Jesus. Just gonna throw that out there. If, if it's not costing you anything, then it's not really following Jesus. Following Jesus leads to the fact that there will be a cost to be paid, but it's a cost that is worth paying. I love the passage, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14, last passage of the morning. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So in other words, expect persecution, same thing Jesus just said. But then it says this, But rejoice. But rejoice. Even in the fiery trial of persecution and hatred and betrayal and false accusation. All those things. But rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, he's already gone through it, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the mercy of the, and of the mercy, because the spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. If I'm gonna sum these words up and we're gonna sing it in just a moment, I'm gonna sum this, these verses up very simply. Following Christ is hard, but he's worth it. Following Christ is hard, but he is worth it. And with that in mind, I know it's late, but we're singing this song anyway. The worship team's going to come up and we're going to sing, I hope he's worth it all. That was the plan, right? Okay, awesome. So we're going to be singing about Jesus being worth it all. And as we stand and as we sing... Don't just sing these words because that's what's on the screen, but actually mean them. Is Jesus really worth it all to you? Is he worth it all to me? The Bible says he is worth it. Let's believe it. Let's stand and sing.